This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Evan Novi williams Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Coming up on the show, we sit down with one of the most powerful women at Nike. Stay tuned for a conversation with Heidi O'Neill, who runs Nike's entire retail strategy. Our co-host, Scott Soshnick, will join us for that, but he's going to sit out this first part. So, Michael, let's get into the top stories of the week. Yes, and let's start with uh, the former San Francisco 49ers quarterback, Colin Kaepernick. He is working out for several NFL teams this weekend in Atlanta. Talk about a, a, a weird one. I don't know how closely you've followed everything that's that's going on around this. You're right. This weekend, Colin Kaepernick is, is going to work out on Saturday in Atlanta in front of a number of, we don't know how many, NFL teams. Uh, it sounds like he was caught off guard by the NFL, which organized the thing, telling him they wanted to do it. It sounds like NFL teams were also caught off guard yeah, when the front office yeah. told them uh, – Colin was given apparently two hours to decide if he was willing to do it. The location, the time were both non-negotiable. It's happening on a Saturday, which for folks who aren't familiar with the NFL schedule, Saturday is essentially lockdown mode for any decision maker within an NFL franchise right there, all prepared to play on Sunday or Monday, uh, which essentially means that whoever gets sent to Atlanta is probably not going to be a high-ranking decision maker uh, in the lot. Uh, It's unclear if Colin is going to interview with teams. There's some disagreement about that. It's unclear if the NFL is going to tell him who's going to show up. There's some disagreement about that as well. There is a lot of unknown and a lot of bizarre around this story. You know, the rumor mill, because I'm all about rumors one of the teams interested unbelievably the new england patriots Mm. it would make sense if if you had him as a a second or third string quarterback colin kaepernick uh, behind tom brady i could see that happening yeah i remain and folks who have listened to the show know i think the three of us may be in agreement i i remain skeptical that colin ever plays again it's been it's been three years you know he just settled his lawsuit recently he was suing the league for a while, um, this is probably progress in some capacity, right? Any chance he gets, he clearly wants to play again. Any chance he gets to work out in front of NFL teams, I think, is is an opportunity he's going to jump at. Um, but it remains to be seen how serious both the league as a as a central office and individual teams are going to take this tryout. Let's stay with the NFL for our next topic, which brings us to the Super Bowl. So far, Fox Sports has sold a whopping. of its commercials for the game. Supplies are limited. Yeah, this is a bummer. He can't be here to talk about it because this is this is news that Scott broke on Thursday. Uh, yeah, this is looks pretty good for Fox right now, right? Uh, uh, ratings across the NFL right now are trending up. You know, this narrative that live sports and especially live football is kind of impervious to a lot of the uh, the viewership declines that we've seen across TV. Certainly holding up at least for this year, and as a result, uh, the demand for Super Bowl ads pretty high. Look at every ratings 
view for the week among the networks, and you will see that the top-rated, for the most part, program, uh, Sunday Night Football, NFL is king. Yeah, and, and there's you know some new changes that are happening. I believe for the first time this year, and this might be wrong, but I think for the first time there's going to be four commercial breaks per quarter in the Super Bowl instead of five. Right. So that changes the inventory selection a little bit. Uh, the money is going up $5.6 million if you want to buy a single 30-second spot. That is amazing to me. That's up from, I think, around 5.3 last year with CBS. Uh, I, I don't think we're that far away from the $6 million Super Bowl ad. Finally, who doesn't like fun and quirky? Uh, let's talk about <laughs> a college basketball story that has to do with coach contracts at Virginia Commonwealth University. And you have to explain this to me, what is going on. Yeah, I love this story, and I am bummed that I did not notice it when I, I read through college contracts fairly often. Um, but VCU, one of the better kind of mid-major college basketball schools, whenever they hire a coach, and they've been doing this for, for a couple decades now, they include a rider in his contract that if he leaves before the term is up, which usually means he's hired by a bigger program, that program has to agree to a home-and-home, home, two basketball games against VCU. Really? And why, why that matters for folks who, who aren't familiar with the way the scheduling works, a good mid-major team like VCU always struggles to get good teams to play them, especially to come to Richmond and play them there. Uh, because if you lose to you know VCU, that's a bad loss if you're a power power five basketball school. And, if, and you might very well lose, the team is good. And if you beat them, it doesn't look like a great win always on paper. Uh, so they've included this rider. It's worked successfully. Jeff Capel left for Oklahoma. When Oklahoma came back to Richmond, they lost to VCU. Anthony Grant left for Alabama. When Alabama came back to VCU, they lost. Uh, Shaka Smart, when he left for Texas, they beat VCU. But just this week, Will Wade and top 25 LSU came back to Richmond, uh, and VCU beat them. Right, So this is a, a very clever way, in my opinion, of getting uh, forcing good teams to play you in your own stadium uh, when you do end up losing out uh, on your coaches. I don't think Akron football has this problem. <laughs> <laughs> they are the fabulous 0-10. Ac oh, my goodness. Akron is – God bless them. I love them. Is uh, that – if you have a, if you had a Michigan or, or your Detroit area college football team, is Akron it? No, that's not actually close to Detroit. It's close, yeah. It's yeah, not it that far. Okay. It's in, in Ohio, yeah. Do you have, is there far. a college football team you root for? Uh, I root for U of M. Okay. I'm not supposed Easy. to root in the press box, but anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's get to this week's interview with one of the most powerful women at Nike. Heidi O'Neill is president of Direct to Consumer at Nike. She runs the sportswear maker's entire retail strategy, and we are glad to have her on the program today. Heidi, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. There's so much going on with Nike right now, a new CEO, new stores, a new retail strategy, and we'll get to all of that. But I want to start with the newest piece of news. Earlier this week, you guys announced that you were going to stop selling directly on Amazon. It was a two-year pilot program. Can you give us some insight into how you made the decision after two years to say, you know what? No, we're done here. We're not going to sell directly on Amazon anymore. Sure. Yes, we've been uh, with Amazon for a couple years in a um, pilot program. And of course, over the entire two years, we've been piloting, learning, testing uh, the experience. And and we have made a decision to end this pilot uh, because, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little more today, but we really believe in uh, a, a consumer experience of the future that is elevated, that uh, pr provides direct connections with our consumers, 
and uh, and and we believe uh, we we want to have great partners as part of that ecosystem. And but we want to make sure that those our experiences are the most premium experience we can possibly provide, and that we have an opportunity to build a direct and um, unbreakable relationship with our members. So you're talking about premium experiences there. What isn't premium about your experience with Amazon? What what kind of specifically led you to decide that wasn't the avenue for you? Well, you know, I mean, you know, what I would just say is, if you have a chance, you know, um, we spend some time on the Nike app and and look at how we serve um, product and recommendations to consumers. We're able, um, through our knowledge of their uh, of their you know history with us, their purchase history as well as their maybe running history or training history, to make sure we're a coaching partner, a community partner. And, and, and can really build a relationship over time to serve them better. And hopefully you guys have had a chance to experience that yourself. But that, that, that's the kind of future we see for, um, for our consumers. The big difference there being, you know, you're talking about direct-to-consumer areas, right? Directly people interacting with Nike specifically. Uh, and then Amazon is, is kind of on the other side, the wholesale side. And right now, you know, about 68% of Nike's, you know, $40 billion of sales each year goes through the wholesale side. Is, is the future direct to consumer? Eventually, does that ratio flip? Or, or is there still some room for, for wholesale partners for Nike? There's absolutely room for wholesale partners with Nike, and and you know you you see that as a, a big part of our innovations going forward. In fact, we just uh, and and we see multiple partners. You know, our our ecosystem of sport is Nike Direct Consumer, and it also includes a lot of really great partners who also serve consumers well. We just piloted a program with Foot Locker. Oh, I'd say about two months ago. Um, in their Washington Heights store, where we um, where we were able to have a better Nike experience just physically in that store, but then we also brought the Nike app at retail to the Washington Heights store, so consumers didn't have a dead end relationship with Nike when they went that went to the door. They knew they were shopping Nike. They expect Nike to actually know them to serve them, and 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 so we were able to make that connectivity in a great digital and physical shopping experience for consumers. And so if you look at that Foot Locker Washington Heights pilot, I think that's a great example of how uh, we'll continue to have partners be a really important part of our ecosystem. Yeah, Heidi, I think we have a nice cross-section here, the millennial and Eben. You've got me a little above Eben, and then you've got the dinosaur and Barr. <laughs> but, but, I, mean, for me, I guess I'm with Barr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you know, we'll get to him Hi, in a moment. Hi, Heidi. <laughs> All right. But what do you say to me? How do you get to me, or or do you have you already written me off and you care about my 10-year-old son? Because for me, sneaker shopping, I do not believe, is going to ever entail my cell phone and an app and QR codes. It's just not what I need. I mean, I just want a pair of sneakers. That one looks cool. The price is good. I'll take it. So what do you say to me? Well, you know, actually, what I say, I think one of the great things that um, we're doing on the digital transformation and reinventing retail at Nike is we're really careful to not get binary or to pick a singular path or a singular consumer. And you know, I think you know. I think there uh, were moments where retailers thought there would never be a store again, the apocalypse, and and all stores will die. And if we had followed that, then we wouldn't um, have the enjoy the uh, kind of the wins that we're having right now. 
And so, you know, what we're doing is we're looking at building an amazing tech stack that allows us to serve people, consumer, consumers personally on their terms. So their terms may be a daily engagement with an app or a sneakerhead that is looking for um, the win on our next launch, or it may be a consumer who just comes to a store who wants to try in some product but is helped to know what they purchased last time in the store. And so I think our experiences, like our brand, is, is, is are pretty broad, and our hope is that we can serve everyone better in a personal way on, on their terms. So then what's the approach to data analytics at Nike? How much do you want to know about me or other consumers? How far down do you want to drill down? Like my car tells me, hey, it's time for service. Is Nike going to tell me, yeah, you're about time. You're probably worn uneven on, on the heel of your shoe. It's time to come in and pick up a new pair. Yeah. Well, you know, so first of all, consumers, we're super fortunate because consumers want to have a relationship with Nike. And, and we're, we're proving and, and, and building a real trust with our consumers around data because they know through knowing more about them that we can serve them better. And so we're simply, uh, we're simply building a, a better personalized experience for consumers. So things like, I'll, I'll give you just a few examples of uses of data that have, I think, made for great experiences. So we, on our running app, our Nike um, Running Club app, which is the uh, largest downloaded app in the world, kind of an amazing asset we have, uh, we discovered that uh, consumers were running more at night than we would have ever imagined. So we, we kind of leveraged that power of data with the power of Nike product creation. Can I ask you something? I'm I, I, sorry to jump in. I'm just very curious while you're on that point. Do you... Do you know whether the the instances of men running at night is higher than women, just for safety reasons? Yeah, you know, actually, I I don't know that, but that would be interesting. Because where you're going is exactly where we are going is safety, and 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 we realize, you know, Nike, in the spirit of handshake of trust, that uh, we wanted to make sure our runners were safe, so we built a um, a reflective pack. And we actually set, we all targeted the messaging and the product directly to the consumers that we knew were running at night. So uh, we didn't go into, we, we didn't look at it from a gender perspective because, frankly, what we cared about is safety regardless of if you're a man or a woman. Um, and, and, and so, th- you know, that resonated really well. I'm sitting here right now in our Studio 23 which is our uh, first ever, um, our, our first innovation hub in New York. And we, this team is working on some amazing work through data in that, in a couple ways. One, they have a maker studio here. So they're able to sense through data and through communities opportunities from a, a apparel and footwear product creation. And right here in this building are able to make and create a uh, product for consumers. Our, um, De La Mio shoe, which was um, launched this year, was a uh, great example of um, building a product for a community um, and and um, and delivering it right here in kind of an end-to-end innovation hub. We're talking to the president of Nike Direct, Heidi O'Neill, and this is something. Now, Geezer Barr has to to weigh in on something, and I and this is something I do not get why this is a controversy, because some runners have complained that. Other runners have an unfair advantage with a particular shoe. And what I don't get is, well, so what? I mean, if, you know, look, if you, I, I used to bowl. If you pick up a house ball, guess what? You're going to bowl less 
than the person that has their own equipment out there. And unless the shoe has a jet with roller skates on it, I don't see what the controversy is. Tell Heidi, by the way, that your personal high is two ninety nine. Yeah, yes, that's but that's another <laughs> great story. Forever bitter, uh, Heidi. Just I so you know, if you're, if you're looking for a reason bitter for bitterness, two ninety nine. That one pin just stuck up there. <laughs> I won't tell you what it looked like, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, you know, let, let let us start with I think um, to your point, something that is really important, and that's cel- celebrating Elliot and Bridget and their accomplishments. Because, uh, you know, the, the record-breaking in Vienna and Bridget with her win in Chicago should be the story. I mean, it honestly should. It's, it's, those, those accomplishments are unreal. And, um, and the accomplishments that, you know, people work a lifetime like me at Nike to make happen. That two-hour mar- under a two-hour marathon. That's incredible. Exactly. Yes. And, uh, and, and you know, we do respect the IAAF and the spirit of the rules, and of course, um, you know, want to see this through. But you know, we 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 stand behind our athletes, and those athletes have been side with side by side with us, building the innovation that will support their goals and their dreams and their career. Heidi, the first time you and I met was at the the opening of the Nike's House of Innovation, kind of the newest, highest-tech Nike store here in New York City. And I was kind of struck walking through it how much the Nike app plays into now kind of the the Nike retail brick-and-mortar experience. You can scan mannequins to see product. You can have product delivered to the dressing room you're in. You can check out. There are lockers that you can use to pick up product you've already bought. How important kind of moving forward is the Nike mobile app seems to be the center of it. Am I thinking about this correctly, that the mobile app and the data you kind of get from that is is moving forward kind of the centerpiece of Nike's retail strategy? Absolutely. I mean, you said it probably better than I could, but, you know, our Nike app is our flagship app. And our Nike app is also the foundation of our omni-channel retail service. And and what's cool is uh, we're almost a year in from when we saw each other. So that was January, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, some of the services that consumers are experiencing, like you said, shop the look, instant checkout. Uh, and, you know, we, we've, we've done a lot with instant unlocks. We hadn't launched that when I saw you at House of Innovation, which is basically like a, a pop-up in your app a, a reward for being a member because you just w- happen to walk in the store. So it's an incredible surprise and delight. And, and, and just in our houses of innovation, we've done a big business on consumers having that moment where a product pops up in their app. And, 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 and we're finding, you know, it's a great consumer experience. They want to stay connected uh, with us physically and digitally, kind of break down the walls of stores and channels. But we're also seeing some really incredible business results. So we've, we've had, we have enough background behind us now to know that a consumer who actually downloads a Nike app in a store, which we have many of in, in our, our portfolio, are 7.5% greater value than a consumer, an average consumer on Nike Digital. So in a, in a year, they'll spend 7.5 times the amount with Nike than they would um, – if they had downloaded the app, so that just tells us that that you know the mobile and um, retail experience being connected is important, and and we we pick up where the app leaves off and have an amazing um, team at House of Innovation in New York too, who will serve you. So it's not um, it's not a one or the other, but that that app is becoming a really important part of the journey, and we're really excited 
uh, to be launching the app at retail in China in December. So if you think about a big move uh, to bring, you know, that flagship retail experience to China um, with our footprint there. When you think about the, the data that you guys get from customers, and you just gave a good example a couple minutes ago about the kind of the nighttime reflective gear for runners, what's more valuable to you? Is it the information that I tell you about myself or is it the information that you glean from the things I buy? Is behavior a better indicator than what people actually think that they want? Well, you, you know what? I actually think that it is the combination. And in fact, in the studio that I'm sitting in right now, uh, we're sitting side by side with one of our acquisitions, uh, which is Zodiac. And we, we acquired that company over a year ago because they were, were experts in predicting consumer behavior. And, uh, and they uh, are able to help us retain and serve our highest value members and actually help us predict who our highest value um, consumers might be. And, and, and so that's a really important capability, and we're already seeing returns on that when we launch our app in new markets like Japan, and we'll see that in China. At the same time, and, and so sometimes, you know, data does know you better than you know yourself, but we really do believe it's the art and science, and, and, and we'll always uh, look to a balance there. You know, we want to respect your preferences uh, in your app experience, and so, you know, and, and one of the important areas there is to know that, you know, you have a family and you shop for people other than yourself, and sometimes data can't always see that as an example. So we, we, we leverage both and we build algorithms on both, and you'll see us getting better and better at that over time, and you'll see that reflected in your member homepage. Heidi, I want to make sure that we ask you, last week, uh, Mary Kane, who was a, a former Nike Oregon Project runner uh, published a, a very moving, you know, video op-ed in the New York Times, uh, detailing you know her experience uh, on on a, on a Nike-sponsored running team, including what she felt you know pressure to lose weight that that led to suicidal thoughts and and a number of, of injuries. You're one of the highest-ranking women at Nike. I'm curious how you felt you know listening to and reading that op-ed. Yeah, you know, I I was on my way home um, from Israel last week and, uh, you know, read the op-ed as well as watched the video, you know, real time, like the rest of the world. And, you know, I found it really disturbing. And I, uh, as, as do my peers and leaders at Nike, uh, you know, the Nike I work for, our, you know, our values around respect and empowerment and inclusion and, and, and the allegations that we heard there um, were, did not reflect the values of, you know, the company that I believe in and work for. And um, so uh, we are conducting an investigation. I feel really good about that. I'm, I'm glad that we move quickly on that and decisively. And, uh, you know, something, you know, you say I'm a senior leader at Nike. It, it, I come to work every day, and, you know, one of my beliefs is you listen to every voice. And, you know, I've built a beautiful, diverse team, and I work hard to listen to every voice, and, and we will make sure uh, as a Nike collective moving forward that we are always listening to the voice of the athlete, as Phil has challenged us since day one. Nike gets, I think rightfully so, a lot of praise for its marketing towards young women and female athletes. Um, Dream Crazier campaign that came out earlier this year, I, th I thought was very powerful. Um, do you think that there's other areas of the company beyond marketing that, that Nike needs to work on in light of, you know, Mary Kane's op-ed? You know, there was some controversy earlier this year about 
pregnant runners and, and how they were treated while being professionals at Nike? Well, you know, I guess what I would say is that, um, you know, one of the things that we're looking at at Nike is just breaking down the walls um, in every department at Nike to serve women better, um, whether that's how we communicate, whether it's how we make product. I mean, if you look at, you know, I ran the women's business for a while and um, we made a lot of progress, but, you know, if I were to be critical of that time, you know, we, we probably didn't break down the walls enough and, 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 and pour enough innovation and um, connect the teams and, and building product for women. And, um, and then I would say that continues through our entire value chain of making sure we're engineering product for women, uh, we are communicating and connecting and, and, and listening to the voice of our female athletes as we have done with every athlete in the past. So I, I, I have to say that, you know, what, what we see is a huge potential is that entire value chain, breaking down walls and ba- breaking down paradigms of how we've done it in the past. And, and, you know, there's some muscle memory there that we have to challenge, but I'm super confident and um, in, in, in optimistic about our future. And, and when, when you guys, you know, even from a digital perspective, I could be critical that I think some of our journeys can be better for her, her shopping behaviors different than his. And we are learning now that, <laughs> that actually through data. Uh, that, you know, she spends a little more time with us. She doesn't want to buy, you know, the first time she sees a product. Her shopping journey might be seven days long before she makes a decision and she wants more information and a lot more video. So, so I think every single function from an enterprise at Nike needs to take a hard look on how to serve her better, and we're all committed to do that, doing that, and we see it as an amazing, as the way we serve female athletes, but we also see as a, an epic growth opportunity for Nike. I would like to ask something in general about breaking down walls, because you are in a very high position as a woman in Nike, but in the corporate world, there's a long way to go. Uh, can you comment on that and what more needs to be done, not just in America, but around the world? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to... Um, you know, to sit with a lot of female leaders at Nike. Um, and, and so I haven't broken down walls alone. And, and there's some amazing women. If you just look at Nike, um, we have um, the person who is running, you talked about influencer, all of our influencer marketing is a woman. Our head of categories um, is a woman. Our head of our innovation accelerator is a woman. I could go on. You get the point. So I think there's some, uh, there's a a host of very, a woman running women's woman, <laughs> but um, so so you know I think I think Nike is is really opening up um, our C suite to a, a powerful group of women that are that's making Nike think differently, and I think you're going to see that in our outcomes. I'm also on the board of Spotify, and and if you look at the composition of the board of Spotify, you'll see. Um, many more women um, on the board and a lot of boards investing um, in in kind of the balance and representation there and 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 so uh, you know I I do see it as um, a really important role that I play at Nike and in boards I'm on to make sure that that we don't just have representation for the sake of representation but I can already start feeling. Um, let's just talk about Nike, that we're making a better Nike because these voices are included. And so 
I I look at, you know, my role, I guess, see we're closer in our, <laughs> our demographic. But um, I look at my role as really a handshake of the past to the future and making sure that we're hiring the best talent, that that talent is diverse. And um, not that I'm going anywhere, but that, that you know. <laughs> Heidi, Heidi you're in mile 12 of the marathon. Bars crossing the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you should see the amazing team we're building. And, and I, you know, I was just in Israel last week with our global team and our Europe team and um, meeting with some tech startups there. And at one point that we were talking about diversity and I, I just stood up and I looked at the room um, and, and here we are in the most tech-focused, most future-focused part of Nike. And I looked at that room and it was filled with diversity and filled with powerful women. So we, we're, we've got, you know, you know, we say at Nike, there's no finish line. <laughs> but um, but I, 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 I hope you start to feel in our consumer experiences and our voice um, how I feel that um, women are actually making a difference at Nike. And that team, Heidi, has a new leader. Before we let you go, uh, new CEO John Donahoe taking over in January. I think surprised some people that maybe don't understand the full extent of Nike's business, that he came from the tech sector. You know, he's a former eBay CEO, former ServiceNow CEO. What does Nike get in in hiring a a high-powered tech executive to be the next uh, top dog at the company? Yeah, well, let's first talk about what we get with keeping Mark um, as our executive chair in the deal. I actually think it's an incredible um, and powerful transition. I don't know that it could be more elegant to... Um, be able to have Mark still a part of the company, a part of steering us um, to the future in his role. We just celebrated his 40th anniversary, and of course, he was CEO for 14 years. So, uh, you know, I I I think that's an important um, part of the transition as well. And then, and then for John, you know, obviously in my shoes, I'm a little uh, biased, but uh, the fact that. You know, we've we've been working, and it's been a heavy lift, and we still have a lift to go in in being on the journey of digital transformation. But to hire a proven tech leader uh, who uh, has been with us on this journey and actually knows exactly where we are, what mile marker we're on, and um, and and yet to uh, be able to be shoulder to shoulder with us as we make the investments, and um, and we and I, I do believe he will. Uh, support us in in the level of urgency we need to have because there is a speed of consumer that um, that it, that should be setting the pace and and and, um, and I think I think John sees that and and he's you know honestly we've had tons of sessions as a as a tech team with John on, as a board member and you know he loves to roll up his sleeves he loves to. Um, you know, engage in our experiences. So I think he'll also be a roll up his sleeves kind of guy. And 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 I guess the other thing I would just say is I've had a couple sessions with him um, since the announcement. And you know, he he has a huge reverence to our playbook that has made us who we are, as well as he knows the playbook of the future. So that's a, that's a great combo. And he's planning on. Um, spending as much time with our teams and product and innovation and supply chain as he is with with us, and he he might just help us, um, 
you know, build that end-to-end um, transformation um, even faster. You hear that, Bar? He knows the playbook of the future. <laughs> the future? <laughs> that's a lot of pressure right yeah, there. All right. He better, yeah. deliver, he better deliver well, to shareholders. If he, know it. Yeah. if he knows the playbook, he better deliver to shareholders. Heidi <laughs> O'Neill, president yeah. of Nike Direct. You are so kind to join us. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you guys so much. Hope to see you IRL sometime soon. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was gonna run the marathon next year. Yeah, I am. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna run the New York marathon next year. So I gotta. Are you really? Yeah, I gotta. First of all, I gotta lose some weight. So I gotta go through. All, I want to train it and do it right and do everything and and uh, got a little ways to go. But I, I made a promise that I wasn't gonna start the diet until after Thanksgiving. <laughs> so well, hey, can we train you? Can yeah. we be your partner? Yeah. Heck we, yeah. we do that, you know. Heck yeah. So, I want one of those fancy shoes that we I was just talking about. <laughs> yeah, we allow, got that. Allow me to answer for me. No, you may not train me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank but, you so Or whatever, okay, you may not you train Steve. me. <laughs> exactly. Good. I just Steve, be Steve will show off what yes. we can do. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you again. Appreciate All right, it. You Thank guys. you, Heidi. Thanks, Heidi. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You know, Evan, I am thoroughly impressed with Heidi. She is one of the many women out there breaking that glass ceiling in the corporate world that needs to be broken. And and one day, we will finally realize that men and women should make the entire exact salary for the exact job. Yes, I'm on a soapbox, but enough is enough. I want to see uh, Heidi get in there and and help do that. Yeah, I agree with you, and and it's clear that you know, despite you know some some negative press that Nike is getting, Heidi clearly believes very strongly in what Nike is doing and the leadership team around it and its approach to you know all different types of diversity. Uh, my takeaway, you know, I, I love it when we have guests that come on and give kind of very specific examples of the kind of work that they're doing. I think it gives a very interesting insight into you know the technology that Nike is using. For example, you know, she mentioned the Nike Running App. App, right, which which Nike can look at, kind of aggregate the data and see trends across running. And one of the things they learned, as you heard her say, people were running at night more than they thought they would. And someone in Nike said, you know, there's an opportunity for us. We should be selling better reflective gear, better nighttime running equipment. And clearly they did that, right? So so that is a perfect kind of concrete example of the way in which Nike looks at its entire ecosystem of data, which is much more than, you know, the shoes that you buy, how big your shorts are, what type of shirts that you like. It includes things like how you're training, when you're running, how fast are you, things like that, and then tailoring their product to meet the demands that they're seeing. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. Ah, uh, here I go. The number <laughs> is 100. Number is 100. I will give you a hint. We were yeah. just talking about something a second ago that you just said it's something that's going to affect me trying to do oh, next man. year's okay. New York Marathon. This is the amount of steps <laughs> per mile that you're planning on taking. No, no, no. Um, the amount of minutes it's going to take you to finish half of it. Yeah. <laughs> or or, no, with, or, or three, a third of it? Yeah, or a, a third quarter, of it. Maybe? <laughs> uh, look at my body. And and then one more time. Are you going to lose a hundred pounds? Yes, Is that the wow? I have to. I have to. I, and I'm Whoa. going to admit it. 
to that everybody out there. Big. This is our best number of the week I think we've ever it's, done on the show. I I have to stick to it. It is right now I weigh 288 pounds. Okay. So I want to get down to 188. Wow, more power to you. To to get ready for the marathon because I have to. I mean, it's, you know, it's it, and I admit I have, you know, the artificial hips. And, you know, so I have to relieve all that pressure with the knees and stuff and everything. So I made the promise after Thanksgiving, that's when it starts. By the way, I have tremendous respect that you are, one, doing this, and two, being so public and open about it on a <laughs> weekly radio show and podcast. Uh, oh, because there's man. accountability there, and I, I respect that a oh, lot. Man. You're the man. Well, best of luck. I'm coming to you for a lot of advice, man. (laughs) Uh, You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Mike LaBar on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. Thanks so much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we talk to the president of Ticketmaster, Jared Smith. So much going on right now in the ticketing, the resale world. Jared's going to break it down for us. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. We'll